0: Hey, everyone, it's Sonic Death Monkey. I mean, the last nighters. And we, uh, re- we review movies on this show here, which is unassailably cool, I might add. Uh, we're going to be talking about High Fidelity tonight with a special guest. And this is episode, let's see here, 110 of the show. And my co-host is Robert Johnson. He what is up? at uh, Trubster.com. That's his website. Where you can find some of the wares that he develops. Uh, some of the top five ways you can support the show, buy something from Trubster.com subscribe to us on youtube give us a review we've been getting reviews lately this is really good news we've gotten two in the past week it must have been that um how you say our groundhog day episode with jack v lloyd got a lot of traction a lot of people out there hearing the the stuff that we have to say the nonsense that we spew and uh, Mm. we got a couple reviews out of it so that's really good news um something we're doing is working something we're doing is working and i think one of our other things that's working is the guests that we have we have one of our top five guests about to join us here in just a moment he is Nikki P of Freaks, formerly known as Sounds Like Liberty. Uh, not quite into the Kathleen Turner Overdrive name of your group now, but it's Peace Freaks. Nick, welcome back to the show. You've been our guest several times. We talked about Chernobyl, uh, related to your Free Markets Green Earth um, podcast. We had you on for Dark City. Uh, was there something else? I, I'm, I'm kind of drawing a blank, but you've been on at least twice. I, guys?
1: I'm gonna be, I feel like there was another one, but I'm not entirely sure when it would have been. Um I'm always I always have fun when I'm on. Yes, are you guys are good people to talk to and I like talking about movies. I've watched probably far too many of them in my days.
0: Well, welcome back. Uh, <laughs> however many times it's been, I will put it on our show notes page, last night.com slash one ten. And uh, we'll also put a link to your where's what you got. So nickpacone.com is like the granddaddy of websites that links out to your other shows, right? So why don't you uh, just reintroduce yourself to the audience, and then give us a list of all the projects you work on.
1: Oh, good Lord. Um, all right. Well, I'm, I'm Nikki P. Uh, I i am started out, I guess, is a, in the libertarian podcasting realm with Sounds Like Liberty, which was originally a music and libertarian uh, thought podcast. Basically, I just talked to libertarians about their music. We've kind of expanded out and had some interesting things happen in the Twitterverse recently that have made me want to, I guess, kind of de-libertarianize myself. and. I guess I'm still consider myself a libertarian, but I think the the name kind of carries with it some baggage, like people that think they're libertarians and want to bomb Iran. That was a little frustrating to deal with. Um, But I also, you know, from there kind of branched out. I now host a podcast about libertarian podcasts and I host a podcast about uh, free market uh, environmentalism, kind of the ways that you we can look at the environment from a free market perspective that are give us the upper hand against, say, the leftist. (laughs) authoritarian regimes Uh, you you can also find the Freedom Song 365 project which is me and my friends Luke Tatum and Sherry Voluntary did libertarian writing about uh, songs with libertarian themes every day for a year Uh, I think you can also link to my my podcast on teaching parents how to become podcasters called Parent to Podcaster so I I may be forgetting stuff just go to nickpacone.com and it'll kind of fill in the blanks occasionally you see pictures of this little creature dancing next to me (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right. Very cool. So nickbacon.com and Parenting Podcaster, uh, I think you've got a special interview with yours truly uh, coming out very shortly. So we'll have a link to that on our show notes page as well. So welcome back, Nick. It's uh, You're one of the hardest working men in the, uh, in the libertarian sphere, even though you're trying to get out of that orbit
1: a little one of bit. The, one of these things is going to take off someday, right? That's that's the rumor. <laughs> <laughs> One of these irons in the fire is going to get hot. Well, yeah, yeah. So speaking of getting
0: hot, let's get into the Google description that we kick this thing off. We're, of course, talking about High Fidelity. It's a John Cusack movie based on a Nick Hornby novel story book. Um, Came out in the year 2000, so it came out in the future, uh, or you know what was known as the future back when I was growing up. Like 2000 was the big, uh, you know, fanciful Jetsons-era-type date to throw out there, uh, Y2K and everything. Uh, Drama-comedy film, one hour, 54 minutes. It is uh, now owned by Disney and is not available on any platform without paying $10 or more unless you bootleg it off YouTube like Robert and I did. Uh, Came out uh, 2000, like I said. Rated R, 7.5 IMDb, 91% Rotten Tomatoes, 79% uh, Metacritic, and 85% of Google users liked it. The description is Rob Gordon, played by John, John Cusack, is the owner of a failing record store in Chicago where he sells music the old-fashioned way, on vinyl. Although they have an, an encyclopedic, encyclopedic knowledge of pop music and are consumed by the music scene, it's of no help to Rob, whose needle skips the love groove when his longtime girlfriend, Laura, played by Ibn Hejle, uh, walks out on him. As he examines his failed attempts at romance and happiness, the process finds him being dragged, kicking and screaming, into adulthood. Uh, Director Stephen Frears, box office, $47.1 million. Uh, Robert, I'll go to you for your take on this. uh, What take?
2: You got to have something. What do you want me to say about this movie, Daniel? It was a movie. I watched it. People did stuff on the screen. They were talking. I kind of laughed a few times. There was sort of a plot. It was about a guy who was kind of like this, woe is me. All these breakups I've had with all these girls, kind of just analyzing his life, his love history. When, you know, it's all spurred on by his great latest girlfriend who dumps him and walks out. But then ultimately he realizes that this is the girl that he's wanted all along because other girls are just drama or not drama. They're like they're fantasies and he wants something real and he's just tired and he's just old and broken down and he's settling. That's the end of the movie. He's like, I'm going to settle the end. Great, Great movie, Daniel. This is super good. Well uh, hold, my hold. god, that's what you get out of that
1: movie. <clears throat> that's what Edgar. it is. That's what that movie is be, can't even be friends anymore. Good lord.
2: All right. This
0: is gonna be spicy, everyone. Oh, it's gonna be Robert. contentious. And Nick are gonna do coming off. I'm gonna be in the middle. I'm gonna be a little go-between here, try to mediate this situation. But Nick, your take on the description and Robert's uh, opening terrible remarks. Well let's just
1: say this is a the better accurate w- this is a better way to get across Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life. Like he should have just gave people this movie and then not wrote that boring ass book that anyone who went to a Catholic church knows every part of. Um, the, the idea he, he, yes, he, he I guess you can call it settling in that he realizes the things that actually have value in his life and chooses those over things that he was told had value in his life. Um, to me, it's it's one of the one of the few movies that like has a character actually develop and realize that he's the problem. As, as opposed to blaming everything on everyone else. Like that's usually the conclusion is that, Oh, well, you know, we, we don't have to deal with our emotional problems when the whole thing is he's just acting like a child and he has to grow up. That's it. And he, he doesn't give up so much as realize that, well, the reason I'm in this relationship now is because I value these things and not the things I thought I did.
0: I, I, I do see this as a maturation process as well. Um, and that's kind of the whole impetus behind the breakup between him and Laura is that they got together in this, you know, club scene or whatever. He was a, DJ and she was a pink haired uh, law student. And then she had to grow up and, you know, she had a job and she started making adult money and she couldn't keep doing the kid things. Like, what was it? It's like a Bible verse, I think, where, you know, when I was a child, I did childish things. And then when I became an adult, I put away those childish things. And I think that there's a transition period and we kind of see that here. She left because Rob was still the same person he was when she met him and she had matured and he had
1: not. Now, full disclosure to my position on this, I have actually read the book, uh, which is far better and fairly different in some respects. Um, I also have probably over a hundred John Cusack DVDs upstairs where I've been collecting John Cusack DVDs since the moment I saw this movie stalker <laughs> very much so. Uh, and then, at a certain point, his politics became so crazy. I can't even uh, I can't even can't even beg myself bring myself to watch any of them anymore, all right. So Nick, top five <laughs> things you love about John Cusack. all right war Inc was a fantastic movie uh for me it would just be movies i really never cared too much about him as a person (laughs) he did good content content uh high fidelity was one of them gross point blank war Inc. uh if you want to take it back we could take it back to say like 16 candles um and probably one of the best ones uh, of all time is better off dead i agree with that yeah yeah. That's the one where he's the kickboxer.
0: He doesn't want to sell anything that's been bought or sold or made or manufactured or mined. he you yep. just marry your daughter.
1: <laughs> and, and perhaps he is what kept me a man child far longer than I should have in my own life, because I think I looked at him the same way Robert did. But then I realized the greater story in all of this is that eventually he grew up and started yep. making crappy movies.
0: He is one of those guys that doesn't seem to age. Like, he was doing movies in the eighties and he's still doing movies now. And, and yeah, he looks a little different, but I mean, goodness. he's a little,
1: he's a little, little paunchier, you know, but we owe him Jeremy Piven, by the way. So now what's the connection there with, with Piven? Is that from gross point blank? Uh, Jeremy Piven actually came up in like a theater company. His family ran. Oh, okay. Um, like uh, John, that's why you have, you notice his sister. Joan is uh very famous also. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're big time in like the Chicago theater community. Okay. And that's There's where a lot of Came out are,
0: of. Yeah, a lot of his movies are based in Chicago. I, I remember um, Joan Cusack was the voice of the narrator for Peep and the Big Wide World, which my kids enjoyed when they were a little bit younger. My, my daughter still enjoys that
1: occasionally. You like Peep, right? <laughs> <laughs> Barely not. She's forgotten all about it. Peep, um, Peep. Well, somebody actually brought this up because his sister was in one of what was my one of my favorite movies of all time. Which was the movie Toys, starring Robin Williams, um, which gets far more prescient every day, <laughs> as the government is now actually talking about putting out its own drone video game for people to play, which was the entire premise of that movie. Um, oh. But they both done very, very interesting roles, you know, from the time that they were young and moving on. Uh, so it's it's fascinating to me. But we're here to talk about uh, this fantastic movie.
0: We are, and I just want to point out that I'm wearing a cosby sweater it's the only sweater i've got actually it's not even a, a cosby sweater but um it is a lead to my favorite character in this film and that is that of jack black who is just over the top 100 miles an hour the whole time and uh he's he's a tour de force he he feels the show in every scene that he's in
1: this is definitely his breakout movie too like he he solidified who jack black was because he'd had a few roles before this but none of them really catered to what he offered um, in particular, if you remember the movie The Jackal, he played a pretty boring character in that. Although it is funny that he gets his head shot off or whatever it is there <laughs> by Bruce Willis. Um, and then, if you remember, I think it was—I still know what you did last summer. He played some hippie that got killed with a bong. It, it very, very small roles. And this is the first one where, like, he was a guy that you actually genuinely remembered him being there. And more importantly, you remember him being Jack Black. What? Because you know, if you look at like the what was it? The tenacious D TV show. That was very much who this guy was. And I think at this point they said, go out and be you. And he did. And people just are drawn to whatever he is.
0: Right. And I think this leads into his, uh, school of rock mm-hmm. appearance. And he's basically
1: the same guy, which by the way, brings it back to Joan Cusack. <laughs> so, uh, it's surprising what those Cusacks are into <laughs> th- throughout time, which is everything. So
0: Robert, um, I know you're gonna ask me like when did this become a fascist regime? But I'm I'm kind of
2: mm. no, it you know, was a long time ago. <laughs> get your input on this. Mm. Um, so, I don't really have a whole lot to add. You guys seem to know this this movie inside and out way better than I do.
1: For the joke the, the joke is
2: I haven't watched it in years. <laughs> I can still probably quote most of the movie verbatim.
1: I, I watched it way too much in college.
0: It is, it does have quite a few quotes. It's not like the Billy Madison or um Lebowski quotable, but there's a there's a bunch of stuff in here that's kind of worthy of remembrance i would think is there
1: well no. i think hornby just wrote good characters and and there is still a lot of hornby's character in this guy um i don't know if you've ever read anything else by nick hornby but he's just very good at capturing a certain person and like you feel what they feel and that's the key to rob is that perhaps perhaps we were never like are our, our co-host here was never in the position to be a rob but i was definitely a rob in college and so those feelings that he has i know them very well because i've lived them where you're looking at back like what's so broken about me that nobody finds me worthwhile and if you go through a string of relationships you, it's something that eventually you're going to come to like it, it forces you to deal with the fact that the only common denominator between any of these very disparate people is you and you have to choose whether or not to continue being that person or to Make the things change that need changed so that you can move on and not have those same, you know, <laughs> not have that same shit happened. Right. And one of the
0: things that he changes is his perspective on those other people and what what how important they were or, or how great they are or aren't, you know, because like because he'd been broken up with by these five women, you know, his top five that he opens with. He feels um, like they're up on a pedestal of sorts, and then it's only when he reengages with them. Well, one he finds that he actually broke up with her, so he can write that off. And then another, he's like, "Oh, she married the next guy, uh, so that was destiny. That was fate. So I don't have to worry about that one either." So like all these little things, kind of in a childish way, uh, <laughs> help him to recover his um, his uh, self esteem as a result of this. But it also changes his perspective on these people, especially when he reengages with Charlie, the Catherine Zeta Jones character. It's fucking awful. Yeah, she is so vapid and so like shouting off just nonsense. But it also is um, the type of rhetoric that if you don't really listen to what she's saying, it sounds important and special and unique and, like, interesting.
1: Well, she she sounds like every idealistic commie I've ever held a conversation with. Like, she's just that. Like, put that into a. Don't get me wrong. Some of those blue hairs are hot. Like, I would do evil things to them. But in the end of the day, I, I can't stand to listen to that talk. That that incessant, you don't know what you're talking about, and you're acting like you're an expert.
0: Right. Yeah. Um. In watching this again recently, she reminded me of how captivating it can be to listen to someone like Peter Joseph when uh, those zeitgeist movies came out. Mm-hmm. Like I found his his um, delivery mesmerizing. You know, it's it's like you wanted to listen to him, but then you realized he said a whole bunch of ten dollars words, but he didn't ever get to a point. Oh, and my, my,
1: that might really meant anything. I had a buddy in college who had like a half brother that like I just invite over to come and like tell me stories about like just different shit that had happened in his life. And I just pass out because I just love listening to this fucking dude tell stories. There was something about like you just wanted to listen to him and like you just so entranced by it. I, the last time I remember seeing him was where he was wearing a communist flag running around and just a communist flag <laughs> through campus. And yeah, I, I don't know why that I would let that person in my house. Let alone listen to them talk, but but there was something about it. It's just that I don't know if it's a charm thing or just the quality of voice. Some people have something that you just want to listen to. Yet, Trub's over here knows. I you do think, know. He knows Hitler.
2: <laughs> well, no, the uh, the Rob character, if anything, strikes me like you're talking about, like this um, child, like a man child. Like he, like he has these little. He reminded me of George Costanza and how he's like very particular, and he has these little quirks and just that he's not grown up in any sense of the word. So yeah, I identified in that sense with Cusack's character and I did appreciate that there was growth. I didn't, I didn't understand the growth. Like it's like some, some sort of self-realization that, but I didn't really understand why i mean, the, him meeting his old exes is what spurs on the self-realization. Well, I guess.
1: Do you know anything about the Jahari window? I don't know what you're talking about Nick so you're just going to have to enlighten me. Oh god. Okay, so there's the Johari window. It's a, it's a pretty common thing. It's the idea that there's there's four quadrants of knowledge. You there's the parts there's the parts of yourself that you know and everyone else knows. There's the parts of yourself that everyone else knows and you don't know. There's the parts of yourself that you know nobody else knows. And then there's the parts of yourself that no nobody knows. Um and I think a lot of a lot of achieving in life is just understanding and coming to grips with pieces that you don't necessarily know and finding as many of them as you can to understand who you are. And through the course of finding out about all these women and what happened in their lives, he he's forced into a position where he has to come to grips and say, well, the common denominator between all these is X. And what is that? What does that leave other than I'm a problem? Well, how do I deal with that? How do I cope with that? So I'm either left to change and deal with it or, you know, continue living a lie and be unhappy from relationship to relationship, doing the same things I've always done.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of it is, it goes back to that whole perspective thing. Like he starts to realize that how he was even viewing the relationship with Laura was he was looking for this fire, right? This like intense roller coaster. But then when he was reflecting on it after losing her, he liked that it was steady. Like there weren't super highs, there weren't super lows. It was just good and comfortable and like her smell and whatever. So he was willing to, I guess, no longer have one put out the door and and cherish what he actually had versus always keeping an eye out for something better or something more exciting or something like that.
1: Well, he was taking stock of the fact that stability and reliability are something that has value to him. You know, hot girls are pretty valuable in one way, like cool girls are valuable in other ways, but there's certain things that don't have value to you until you reach a certain point in life. And he just reached the point in life and realized that finally that, these things that I didn't put any value in before, I now do, and I just didn't know I did. Right. Wh- it took him a while to figure it out. And I also want to say that he was a bit of a pussy and a bit of a hypocrite. Oh, without question, he's is, he he is a flawed character. Like, but he also got to you know bang Lenny Kravitz as wife. Well. That's cool. Too. Yeah, Marie, Marie Sal is that is that her name in the in the show here? Is <sighs> it was at Number Eight with a Smile? I believe it was the Number Eight with a Smile. <laughs> I believe it's implied. Bullshit How <laughs> would be wrong to state a preference? <laughs> Can it be wrong to state a preference exactly? Uh,
0: but yeah, so that was his, his hypocriticalness. Was that he was all broken up because um, Laura was with this Ian guy? I hate him too. Uh, <laughs> but even before they had slept together, you know, she said that they hadn't. Then he goes out and sleeps with Marie Sal right away. And then once he does discover that she does sleep with Ray, then he's all busted up over it. But if she knew that he did that thing, wouldn't you know? Like, wouldn't she be pissed? It's it's really bizarre this situation where he goes out and does the thing that he would be very upset with
1: her doing. <laughs> I'm just I, we were talking about his flaws, and I just keep I keep running the scene. Charlie, you fucking bitch! Let's work it out. <laughs> he screams through the window, and you're just like, that is not the appropriate way to handle your emotions.
0: No, yeah, had a very child, childlike uh, way of handling it. And he was still doing that stuff, even with Laura. Like, as soon as he figured out where Ray lived, where Ian lived, he would go outside of his apartment and call on the phone, the payphone, and like basically stock them like you stock uh, Cusack with the DVDs. And <laughs> what I don't understand is, you know, I don't mean to jump all the way to the end already, but when Laura has her turn back towards him, it's after he does all this crazy stalker shit and her dad dies and she's like emotionally vulnerable and just wants i guess to fill that void with something else and so then you know she goes back to him just for you know physical needs or whatever it, but it's it it's not a satisfying like re, reunite reuniting of them uh, on a emotional like relationship level for me it seems
1: kind of uh it it's, it rings a little hollow you know Well, and see, and that's the thing I would, I would be willing to decide with Robin say that, yeah, she totally fucking settled. Like she, she probably made some stupid decisions in staying with him based on his reactions to things, but maybe that's just making her a good person, you know, but she, or she sat down and she weighed the values that she had in her life. And, you know, the stability of, you know, I guess routine sex was important enough for her to stay with a guy. Maybe, maybe he was cute and that was what she valued. He had other things that he learned that he valued in her aside from those qualities. You know, I think, I think he may, I think he, he wants her for better reasons than she wants him perhaps.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> and, he had a realization that he has to punch his weight, but even with her, he's not.
1: Yeah, really. He's a guy who, I guess, I guess he owns a record store and then he goes and, and tries to in this, I will give him credit in this. He goes and tries to be good at a business that is, even worse to try and be good at than being a record store owner, which is a music producer. I don't know a lot of famous music producers. Most of the shit you listen to on the radio is by three Swedish guys. So <laughs> it's a little little odd that he would choose that route and be a viable option, but he did. Yeah, so Nick, I wanted to ask you because
0: um, this is a movie that you wanted to do. And as we were IMing about it, you said that there was economics in this. So what are the... I'm, I'm going to say top five, but you know however many... What are the economic things you see in it? Well,
1: what's what's interesting is in his, a couple of things. First off, the entire movie focuses on a guy running a business. So, he's constantly dealing with situations like does he keep these guys around because they're his friends? Does he keep these guys around because they're good employees? We we can see where he has to come to grips with why what the business is to him and why he does it, which I think is also why he chooses to, you know, get back into the DJing thing and why he chooses to produce that man. Because I think he, he starts to see the record store as more of a business and he knows he needs fulfillment musically in other places. Cause he's not going to get it there. Um, it also could be that he realizes he has a bunch of shitty employees and that he needs to hire perhaps more shitty employees. <laughs> um, but I also find it amusing. Uh, one of the things that I, 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 that I was thinking of when I actually said that was you look at, in particular, Jack Black's character, who is out there and he's talking about, talking a big game about the art and the creative process and let them riot. We're Sonic fucking Death Monkey. But then he completely turns on that for this party. You know, he's he's, he's doing the freaking rob out the whole time, going, you know, you are, you and your bougie friends can deal with this. We're gonna let them fucking riot. I think is what he says specifically. And then he shows up and, he, and then the night and he makes a joke. And then he provides exactly what he was hired to do, which is entertainment. And he goes in there competently understanding what his audience is and giving them what they want, despite that that's not what he would do. And it, it, there's there's just little moments of seeing people make savvy decisions like that that I really appreciated. And while they'll talk a big game about how important the art is to what they do, they also realize that art in is and, frankly, has always been a commercial endeavor. People that do it for any length of time, they're going to make money on it or they won't do it very long. So that's kind of what I was getting at with it. I really appreciated that. It, I, there's also the fact that, I mean, you're dealing with a guy who has to deal with the reality of like, what does he offer of value to a woman? If he doesn't have his shit in order and doesn't make money and he's got a failing business, it's not, it doesn't offer anything. So was there any, did you, did you notice any little things like that or not, did You not pay attention to it.
0: Well, I was thinking that you were going to go with the, he's running a, a record store in a gentrified neighborhood where people don't go to window shops. So the rent's cheap, but probably not a lot of foot traffic though. They do show the store busy, pretty often but he said it's um you know people who need to make a special trip to go down there like with a specific purpose it's usually young men who are like lonely or heartbroken or whatever uh, as he opens you know what came first the music or the misery uh and then well, there's that,
1: also that actually factors a lot more into the book because if if you read the book he actually it, it, he actually isn't even selling like he's not into pop music like that whole which came first the pop music or the misery that whole deal is he's actually selling blue, like very niche blues music in the book that they are like, and that's what he's obsessed with. And so he would have a much more niche shop, but I don't think you could sell that to an American audience, which, but it is one of the reasons I think that uh, Springsteen makes that appearance that he makes in there, because that is kind of an homage to the whole blues, like roots rock, um, like history of that book. Um, but what is also is funny is that this this movie was acting as if records were something that was never going to come back, and here we are. CDs are kind of passe, and records are big money. They've actually made sold more. more they, they we've had solid gains in the record industry for the past five years now. That they continue to make more and more money.
0: Yeah, I mean, twenty years will will change quite a bit. I mean, the CDs were kind of the the newfangled thing back when this came out, and, and records were going away. But now. I guess the tone is different. There's a scratchiness and a warmth. To well, the no, the, the, really thing, the thing is,
1: is with vinyl, um, it's a very tangible thing. And that's why people still bought CDs. That's why I still buy CDs. I don't have room for records. So I'll buy the CDs and get like the liner notes. And there's an experience to buy, getting a new record and that I, a true like lover of music and aficionado will have. Like, God, you crack it open, you open the liner notes, you're looking through the lyrics, you're you're seeing this full, like, this full spectrum thing that the artist wanted you to see. And you really don't get a feel of that like you do uh, with with a record, like opening that record and the sleeve is this big, beautiful artwork. It's, it's something special about that. And the bottom line is that you're going to listen to it on a fucking iPhone one way or the other. So this, you're not listening to it on a CD the, the, you, you may never, like a lot of people own records. They may never listen to those records. They go up on a, on a thing in the wall and they can kind of look through them like they have a library, but Almost every record you buy, you get the download code, like sent to you from the company that you bought it through immediately. So, like, if I go and buy a record on Amazon, they'll send me the download code to download it immediately to my device, and then I've got the record for later consumption. It's just there. Uh, It's more than you never actually go and and do it. Just have, but you
0: never actually like take advantage of it.
1: Uh, I, 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 right now I don't even have a record player. I have, a, I've given it to one of my friends, but I have a couple records sitting over there that I've picked up. A lot of times it's just a way to support the artist. Like you, you you like having a tangible thing. Like I can't justify music that doesn't have a tangible side of it. Like as an IP, uh, anti IP person, I will never justify sending people money for just fucking nothing. Like what are you giving me? Like I, I need something to fucking hold or this is nothing. So I always have to have the CD, but, um, you know, that's just the way I choose to consume it. And that's, I think that the, like the record industry is a, still a very niche thing, but they found their audience and they've managed to cultivate that audience. so they still managed to make money on it where, and whereas CDs uh, continue to lose money, um, records are actually making more money than they have been. So it's, it's very interesting to see the way that the perception of an industry was, and that no one could have predicted that short of like maybe a, an incredible out insider.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to offend your golf buddy here and ask Robert, um, uh, his particular takes on the economics of this there were a couple of instances where co- a consumer a customer came into the shop and were denied service two different occasions that i can recall and
1: it's called to say i love you
0: yeah that one and then the um the the really like kind of fresh fish guy that jack black was like trying to like help him er, you know get his collection going and then he wanted this particular record I and he was like, bunny no, man. I'm not selling it today i don't feel like selling it today <laughs> And then as soon as uh, that guy walks away, then one of their other buddies, uh, Lewis, I think is his name, like, I'll give you 50 for it. And he's like, sold. I'm like, why would you sell it to me and not that guy? And he's like, because you're not a nerd. So Robert, is it, do you see that as like, we're, we're big proponents of, you know, the market will punish bad behavior and reward good behavior, especially when it comes, you know, like the whole, um, when it comes to like racial questions of you know people having biases and and whether there should be like civil rights laws or or accommodation laws like forcing people to um, serve other people when it's in their economic interest to do so but we see an example of this in this movie where even though it's not the economic interest of the people it's still in their interest psychically to do what they did to those customers you get what i'm saying so it's not just economic interest that's going to be at play here well yeah they're they're elitist fucks
2: right and i think they get called that in the film Right, they're oh, not. Yeah. They're not good economic actors. I mean, Kusak. I
0: think they know better than everyone.
2: Yeah, <laughs> don't they? Kusak puts puts the puts the place in like this out of the way dump of a of a location. And I think the only people that can get away with that are people that have like a monopolies on a certain set of services, or, or a or a what is that tangible like intangible um, like a competitive advantage, like. You can't what? get it anywhere else. You can't get this anywhere else. And this is like the new hot, not hot spot. Like, you know, nightclubs can get away that sort of thing. Exclusivity. Exactly. Or like, um, high-end restaurants can turn away customers if they don't meet certain certain standard or whatever, because you can't get this food anywhere else. You can't get this experience anywhere else.
1: Well, and, and I don't know if you've ever searched <coughs> for an import. Uh, it's a lot easier than it used to be, but I know some people like in the early nineties, like you'd have to really, really hunt to find certain CDs. Like, um, my favorite version of body moving by the beastie boys is actually a Japanese import B side recorded or remixed by fat boy slim. It was only on this one import, uh, that you could, you'd have to hunt down to find. See, so unless you had a niche store that was buying like very specific content to get you all of those extra things that weren't even like sold here in the States, you wouldn't find it. So he can right. sit there and so, hold that record and nobody else has it. See, right, so he work. had a virtual monopoly in this yes. town of his, for sure. It's Whereas these now. days, you could just go online and pick it up, no problem. I mean, it's, some things are still hard to find. Like, look for yeah. look for a copy of the film Necronomicon online somewhere and tell me how much you have to pay for it to find it. And it's going to be a VHS copy. <laughs> it's a pretty terrible movie also. Indeed. Well, all right. <laughs> um, but- I did also want to point out, real quick, so that guy who says, what, you'll sell it to me, but not to him? Ah, uh, that guy is. His name is Alex, uh, and he is one of the main guys in the movie, or in the main guys in the band Hepcat. Ah, uh, you he, you might also recognize him from the movie Swingers. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's he's the one. He basically his job is just to play cool hipster black dude in movies of that era.
0: <laughs> he did so well. He's also, he's also niche cornered it's that very market. Very niche. Good.
1: Well, there's like, and, and I will say that if you if you haven't noticed a recurring theme looking at John Cusack movies, and I think that either he he takes very big pride in it or he has say in the matter himself directly. He's very into the music. Um, all of his movies, especially of that era, have very very good soundtracks. They're very well constructed, and there he has a lot of like, like have you ever seen the movie Tapeheads? I chances I have. Uh, it's a great movie. It's insane. But one of its claim to fame is that yeah, there's a country band that plays in the bar that him and Tim Robbins hang out at. And the the country band is Fishbone, <laughs> which is a 90s like ska. Ska punk metal band, right? Yeah. But they play a country band in the movie. <laughs> so I think he takes a lot of the music very seriously for us.
0: It wasn't there some um, Easter egg kind of like nods to other movies of the era, like wasn't um, one of the band posters that we see early on in the film actually the band from I want to say Singles?
1: I, I would almost guarantee it. Like, it, there's a there's a lot of conscious decision making that goes into that. I mean, even if you look at that movie I was talking about earlier, War Inc. Like, there's a lot of music that kind of it, is part of the storyline even in that movie. Same thing with like uh, Gross Point Blank. Like, so much of that movie is based around song lyrics and things like that.
0: Right. And so, Robert, this is why I kind of figured that you would have more of a, a, a liking to this movie because mm. you were a music guy, especially of this era, mm. maybe a little bit before this era. But they were going, you know, Echo and the Bunnymen. They were beta band I <laughs> will now sell three albums of the beta band. And he just starts playing it and everyone's like nodding along. But yeah, like Nick's saying, the music is a,
2: a pretty big central part of this film. And I thought that that would really call out to you. Well, I did a- appreciate that he was playing a Chemical Brothers song when he was spinning when he, in the club when he first meets uh, his, his girlfriend. Slash uh, fiance that he proposes to at the end when she turns him down. That was yeah, that fun half half slash. Well, what what do you think you might if you did and blah blah.
0: It's <laughs> pretty romantic proposal. <laughs> it's, important sure. it's important that I asked.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: But did did that angle like call out to you at all? The you know the
2: music being such a big part of this and like a lot of the bands that I'm sure you were familiar with back in the day being referenced. I mean, some of them. I I'm not as much of an indie music nerd as I guess a lot of people on this podcast are. Um, I remember belonging to like the Columbia Music Club back in like the day. That was how you got music. Jo- join for join for a penny. Yeah, you, yeah, you're in for a penny, and you get like twelve discs, and you you pick them all, and then you and then you then they send you more, but then you got to pay like five ninety nine or four ninety nine or whatever it was. Oh no, it was worse than that. It was like a penny for the first twelve.
0: And then it's like twenty dollars for each each additional, and you can't cancel. Like you can't figure out how to cancel.
2: I don't remember it being that bad, but it could have been some first. It, for some it was that. Fans. It was
1: definitely that bad, and I was like not old enough to realize what I was doing at the time. And so, you know, my parents would have to deal with it when I do it. And then I send it to grandma's house after the first time.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it was what it was. Well, I remember running out of bands that I liked to pick from because they only had a small catalog. I mean, I don't know if they had a huge well, catalog, but I remember because- being. A-
1: If you pay attention to it, we don't think of buying music, but those were those are basically you're buying the music direct from the label. So Columbia had Columbia Music, you know, BMG would have Warner, you know, Warner Music, because they were just selling the artists that they had that they represented. And so you you have to be you have to be part of all of them to kind of get the full spectrum of the music that was out there. Um, I would say in the '90s, probably the best one would have been uh, Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers today still has some of the best indie artists. Okay.
2: Okay. Well, I just remember running out of the good ones and then still picking some crap, getting those crap CDs and then getting some like indie cred for having those CDs. But I never listened to them because I hated them. I remember like a band called Firehose. I want to say I got that album. And they're like, oh, you listen to Firehose. And I was like, oh, yeah, I totally listen to Firehose. You're cool. I never <laughs> listen to Firehose. I listened to it one time. I thought it was crap. But yeah, I never I'm, threw it away. I'm imagining that he was actually listening to Firehouse. I, I, maybe it was. It was like some alternative band in the early 90s. I don't know. All right. Well, Conflict Melvins or something. Confl- uh, God, I kind wish there
1: Melvins. Conflict Resolution is my job. Ah, uh, fucking ponytail. A few yeah, things so- are as disgusting to me as Tim Robbins with a ponytail. I wish I still
0: had mine, actually, for recording this episode. <laughs> uh, I don't Robert, miss it. Thank you. My my, my girls like that I cut my hair.
1: I think probably one of the best, the most cathartic scenes in that movie is where he he has like the fake meeting of of him. And then he like tells him to get his patchouli stink out of my fucking store. And then the one dude like grabs a telephone and smashes him in the jaw of the telephone and he spits out his teeth. And then Dick grabs the air conditioner out of the wall and drops it on his face. Which is hysterical because Dick could never do that. He's such a little guy. Uh, And then he falls in love with the girl from Roseanne.
2: Yeah. yeah, I did appreciate that. I recognized her right away. Now, Robert, this this calls back a little
0: bit to our previous episode with Jackie V. Lloyd. Where we oh, yeah. Edge of Tomorrow for a Groundhog Day episode. And, you know, the threat of alien invasion brought <laughs> the world together into a one world government. Yes, yes, it, so it similar, did. Similar situation here. Mm-hmm, when very Rob similar. A little psycho and started mm. stalking uh, Laura and Ray, Ian. I hate yeah. Ray. Ian. Right, ponytail. Uh, Ian and, and Raymond. Uh, <laughs> and Joan, sure. <laughs> Joan points out to him like, "Hey, if you keep up this crazy shit, you're going to form a little unit. You know, now they have a common enemy. Mm. Before it was just three people in a mess, and now you're forming this little team against you. I think that was pretty solid advice from
2: her. No, oh, that's absolutely. that is solid advice, absolutely. Yeah, your his craziness was giving them something to bond over. You don't want to do that when they're when their relationship's on the edge. Not that he knew that, but
1: I think I'm seeing what's going on here." is that maybe this hit just a little bit too close to home and our, our friend here hasn't reached the point of enlightenment that we have, you know, we were married with kids That's now in our lives and you know, he's still doing the bachelor absolutely. artist thing, you know, I'm a disaster and I'm just looking at you enlightened
2: beings and going, how can I pattern my life after these incredible entities? These, these specimens of, of all that is man. That's right. No, 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 I, absolutely. <laughs> See, Robert's still at the stage of being a little skate fuck and business crippling Nazi youth shoplifter. That's right. Making incredible music. Suck it, bitches.
1: Uh, In fairness, I thought their music was kind of shitty, but
2: it's not my kind of music. Do you
0: know if there's a way to get at least the one track that they they sort of play in the background? I'm pretty positive
1: it's on the soundtrack, isn't it? I looked for it and it wasn't on there, Uh, but I'd be curious to actually give it a listen. I will. I'll have to go and see if I can find that somewhere because I'm pretty positive I I, I had it somewhere as an MP3 in college. I might even have it in my, my collection still. Okay, yeah.
0: Send it my way. I'd appreciate that. Um, and I, I really like that Jack Black's line is that in it is like he, he hates those guys and they're listening to it. And he's like, oh, but it's really fucking good, man. <laughs> you know, like he reluctantly <laughs> yeah. has to appreciate the
1: quality of it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, there's there's some shit that I see artistically that. Yeah, you know, while I, I'm like, God, this is terrible and I can't stand it. But man, if only I had the amount of like ability to pour into this. Like there's some there's some really good music out there written by commies. We'll just say that.
0: <laughs> I would agree with you there. I was a big fan of Rage Against the Machine back in the day. And now I'm like, oh, you know, you see there. Um, was it the Bulls on Parade one where they're doing the, the music on Wall Street? And they got the Trump for president um, posters. That's crazy. Back in like. <laughs> 2000 2001 something
2: like Yeah, that. that was with uh Michael Moore, right? Uh it might have been. Yeah, they they shut down Wall Street while they played outside and then Michael Moore win and shut down Wall Street for a day or whatever and he was super proud of himself. Got Nath- to hate Michael Nath- Moore. pathetic rebound fuck. <laughs> Another line from this.
1: I mean, but let's be clear. She clearly has shitty taste in men. Like Rob and him. Neither one of them is really a catch. Is that possibly because of the man voice? Uh what do you mean the man voice? I mean, she sounds like a dude when she talks. Oh, like, I, I like She has a her, deep, a smoky reaction. voice. Are
2: we talking about the Zoe, what's her name? Kravitz lady? No, no, no. She sounds sexy as fuck.
1: Who are we talking about? We're talking about uh, the, the, Laura. Which one's Laura? Laura talks like this a little bit. <laughs> you know, what's up, guys?
2: Is this the character in the movie we're talking about? Yeah, yeah it's, it's the it's girl. You know it's
1: like the girl that like, breaks up with him. The she sounds like a dude. Girl, the yeah. lawyer? She sounds like a dude.
2: All right. I don't remember her sounding like a dude. All right. She's Could got be, a pretty like Scandinavian
1: accent. So maybe, maybe that's what, maybe here, maybe Nikki's not into that. Oh, no, I married a woman with a dude voice. Oh, okay. All right. So my, my wife's voice is very deep and smoky. Well, when the lights are off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I didn't Sonic fucking shit. <laughs> <Sonic laughs> Wait, so are you guys officially changing Kathleen Turner Overdrive to Sonic Death Monkey after this? Or are you going to go full on and do the full thing and it's now going to be downtown what was it uh, downtown hallie uptown five whatever it is there oh barry jive in the uptown five yeah, barry jive in the uptown five that's what it was yeah he was making the transition from silent death monkey
0: to kathleen turner overdrive but for tonight right. it'll be barry jive in the uptown five and I love then, it. then he sings let's get it on which this was the first time i heard
1: jack black sing
0: i know that tenacious d, tenacious d like predates this a bit
1: um uh, this is the first time i heard it too a uh, funny story I I heard Tenacious D for the first time because I was talking about this movie in physics class in high school. And I we had we had like a substitute teacher and he was a younger guy, um, Mr. Philbin or something like that. I can't remember. But uh, he he overheard me talking about the movie and how much I love Jack Black singing Let's Get It On. And he's like, well, if you like that, you should go look this up. And so I think I went home and like dug around on the internet until I like, found it. And I, f- I found, uh, you know, I found a, some clips or something. And then I had a friend of mine look for it and burn me a copy of that first Tenacious D record, which I was sent on the path by a fucking high school physics teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <Solid>. yeah.
0: <laughs> I I actually enjoyed his singing. Like what I think for, for me and probably for much of the audience, like I was as surprised as Rob Gordon with his actual, like being a good singer and actually entertaining for the audience in this. I mean, I yeah. know it was like, you know, part of the plot and all of it.
1: Well, how I mean, much do you actually know about it, it, it technically isn't the first time I ever heard Jack Black sing because there is a movie that I saw tenacious D in many years before that, that I didn't, it never registered to me that they were them, which is go and look up biodome. Oh, and, is and, that the and, Holly and, shore and, movie. And tenacious D is playing as tenacious D out in like when all the hippies are hanging out outside of on earth day and they're all having the big party out there. They're just walking around like singing and it's him and KG is little tiny babies, man. Like they're so young in it and it's hilarious. Um, but it, you know, it's something that you would never think about because it's just, it's so in the background to what's going on. Like you'll just get passes like a screen passes by them. I don't even think it's 10 seconds of them in the movie, but like once you know that it's them, like you can't unknow it. You're like, Oh my God, that's crazy.
0: Okay. All right. Now I will take it back a little bit earlier in, in the, uh, in the movie, he does sing a little bit like, Brother, what a night it really was. Brother, what a night it really was. Angina's tough. <laughs> and then, uh. and then Rob's like shaking him, you know, and like, did Laura let you wear that out? Out in the today. <laughs> this shit is vintage. I would sock you in the nose. Oh man, good stuff.
1: Uh, well, but the thing is, is like tenacious D. I don't know how much you know about them as a band, but I mean they're they're very very talented musicians. A lot of people don't know. So Kyle, the guitar player for that band, like he studied guitar at Juilliard. So he's as classically trained, like one of the best schools in the country that you could possibly be trained at. And he makes silly movies. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie wild hogs and he's a KG is actually the guy that's singing, uh, my, is it my milkshake or don't you think your girlfriend was hot like me or whatever? Is Isn't that the uh, Jones and like Morgan Freeman, like <sighs> cowboys put on
2: motorcycles?
1: I, I think it's, wasn't it like, like John um,
2: Travolta and yeah, uh,
1: John Travolta is what I think of.
2: Yeah. And, uh, Tim Allen.
1: Yes, yes, those guys, and and he he, they're at the carnival, and he's like, he's just like it was in Biodome where he's just this background thing that's happening, and you see this this fat bald guy singing songs in a cowboy. Like he does "Pony" by uh, Genuine is one of the ones that he does, and like he's just really really going over the top with like the sexual nature of the song, but if you've never listened to KG sing, KG sings really really high like this. Okay, guys. Kind of like the kind of like the joke version of Prince when you think of how Prince sings. Like you just imagine him having this high-pitched squealy voice. Well, that's actually how KG sings. I'm a long-time Tenacious D
2: fan. Long time. I, I, I own the complete masterworks. I, I haven't watched it in a long
1: time, but I do own it. And I think the quality and the music has dropped off as of late. But but I mean, I, I respect what, what they did. The, I love the uh, pick of Destiny, mostly because I see it the same way I see like... Uh, Adam Sandler movie. It's just an excuse to hang out with their friends and get paid to do it. Like,
2: yeah, let's do some ridiculousness.
1: Um, I don't know how far you could run with what they are. But the thing that I love about them, and they say it, in this at least in one documentary, is that the thing about Tenacious D that makes them beautiful is that you they, they get you to buy in because you want for them so much what they want to be. Like They hear themselves as these giant rock gods, and you want that for them. And that's a, that's a pretty beautiful thing.
2: Yeah, I can see that. I think Tribute's one of the all-time great songs. I still listen to that on a regular basis.
1: I play it all the time on stage. It's the best people, song in the world. people people see a fat guy with a guitar and they're like, "Play some tenacious D." <laughs> and then I and then I, I chastise them for making a uh, what do you call it? I will chastise them for making assumptions based on my my weight, like that I that I would play music like that. And then I play it because I'm a whore. Why wouldn't you be? A musical whore for money. I, when you see them throwing them 20s in the till, makes for a good night. <laughs> I've, I've played Nickelback. I've played Smash Mouth. I don't care. The price is right. We'll make it happen.
0: All right. You hear, you heard it here, folks. <laughs> all right. Well, um, we're getting to that uh, point where you need to start winding down the show. So are there any last notes, Nick, that you've got? I know, oh, Robert, you're you're
2: shooting blanks over there. Oh, no, no. I got s- shitload of notes, yo. Man. Oh, my God. You guys just aren't even talking about them all. I got, mm-hmm. I got this one where there's Lenny Kravitz's uh, girl says sex is a basic human right. So I wanna yeah, thank I was actually... her for that that's a true story. So ladies, <laughs> who's it going to be tonight? Come on. Yeah, I had to load it up for uh, some bonus content. Oh, uh, bonus content. I ruined it.
0: No, we, we can talk about it now. We can talk about it now. <laughs> what do you want uh, to talk about? Well, so she says, you know, that sex is a basic human right. And, well, and she'll let some asshole get in the way of her and a fuck or whatever. Well, yeah. Um, but I guess it really depends Comment. on how she's, how she's referring to it as like a basic human, right. Um, you know, in the positive rights sense, which are illegitimate rights. But I think what most people would think of them as would be something that someone is obligated to provide to you. And I I think that that would be a problematic statement. Uh, what? In the perspective. Like my, that... In my
2: utopia, that's the way it's going to be, Daniel.
1: Well, and <laughs> let's not argue that this isn't a male power fantasy film, because clearly right. it is. It's Thank just you. it's just basically a story about him dating hot women and not being, you know cool with when they eventually realize that he's a guy who just serially dates hot women and this does not offer much at the table.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So go ahead, Daniel continue. What were you saying?
0: Well, I'm just saying that the perspective of probably the lay audience and even the producers of said film uh, writers and, or everyone involved would position that as a positive right thing. I would think like that's how they would view rights as, whereas we would view it as a negative right. So yes, you have the right to engage in said activity voluntarily. With consent, what? boo, but how it's presented in this, it, it seems, uh, maybe less than that. I don't know.
1: Well, I think that the way she's presenting it is actually in the way that most people throughout most of history have thought of rights, which is our things that you're not allowed to stop me from trying to attain artificially. Like she's not saying that people need to bring me sex, but stay the fuck out of my way if that's what something I'm trying to get. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that
2: seems like what she's doing in the film.
1: I think that we've just kind of grown up in this era that is really fucked with what we expect out of people,
0: right? And she's not talking about like the legal sense, but she's talking about like that she has a recent breakup and that's emotionally messing with her, and she's not going to let that stop her from having a good time.
2: Yeah. 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 Yeah, Daniel. Don't let it stop you from having a good time, buddy. You just you just do it. All right. Just as long as you that- have consent.
1: Throw that dick wherever you want to.
2: Yeah, just sling it, sling it out there.
0: I've been following my gut, and it turns out my guts. Super sh- brave.
2: <laughs> so, Robert. <laughs> oh yeah, Daniel. What's up? Why don't you uh, lead us off with your? Uh, I'm clearly the ignorant guy in this in this trio. I'm summary like the you. I'm the Ringo of this qu- quartet. Um, I I enjoyed this film. Uh, I like Cusack. He's a charming guy. I thought the script was pretty well written. I enjoyed Black. He really, like was said in this podcast, he is the most himself outside of School of Rock, which was written specifically for him. But it did, it, as to Nick's point, it did seem like they just kind of said, just do your thing, just be you, and we'll just hit record on the camera. Um, as far as a plot, uh, I I know you guys seem to think this is like some masterpiece of uh, psychology and human behavior or something like that. I, I'm i I'm not there. I, I'm not there with you guys. Um, I... I <clears throat> I'm all for development of characters and to have a character realize that they've been a piece of shit the whole time and to grow in that way is pretty cool to realize that they've been the bad guy the whole time or whatever. I like the concept, but I don't buy the execution. I don't buy the execution in this film. I don't see that um, you know, he's talking to to, to a few exes and then he realizes he has this huge revelation and oh now I'm gonna be a good person. I, I don't buy it. It's too big of a change to happen in ninety minutes um but you know it's a movie and if you buy it I-, I think you'll enjoy it um i i still think it's it's a perfectly fine movie i'm gonna give it a 6.5 out
0: of 10. 6.5 huh well robert you're a cinematic idiot and i feel sorry for you this is a brilliant proud film, idiot proud <laughs> akin to evil dead 2 though completely different genre but this is a, a film that i uh, I think I said in the open, or perhaps it was our pre-show content available for Patreon supporters at LastNarrators.com/slash/Patreon, uh, that I grew up, well, you know, my formative years watching fairly often um, to the point where I could quote a fair amount of it. I really enjoyed the John Cusack character. I think he played it very well. Uh, Jack Black, of course, was the standout. Um, I think that it is a bit of a journey, and and as Nick said, we have a flawed character, but he does kind of develop, and and I think. I keep going back to, you know, it's his perspective changes, his his perspective changes on his past relationships, his perspective changes on his current relationships, and I I actually think that the turn is really when he and Laura are back together. And no, it's before they're back together actually. She comes into his house and sees the top 5 jobs, dream jobs that he has listed, and some of them are like being a producer for Atlantic Records in the 1960s to 1973, you get to meet Janis Joplin and, you know, Led Zeppelin and all this shit. And he gets down to like the last one and, and uh, you know, none of them are actually possible because they you know have to do with time and other people being dead and all this stuff. Uh, so wouldn't you just change this last one, you know, top five job record store owner. And that's the realization where he actually has to appreciate that his life is pretty good. Like, this is something that we try to instill in our girls is like, Hey, just so you're aware, your life is really good. <laughs> like I, I'm not one to like talk about privilege in this, you know, you have privilege and you're a terrible person because you don't, you know, understand it or whatever. But our girls don't know what hardship is really, like especially with the modern conveniences of Amazon and Costco and the internet and that I can work from home and that we make enough money and all this stuff. Um, But, you know, I also need to realize that I have it pretty good. You know, when I think I'm having a hard day, I have to to realize how good I really have. And I think that's the turning point for Rob in this movie is that he realizes that he actually does have the dream job and he does have a girl who he does want to be with who makes him feel pretty good most of the time, you know, with that stability. So it is the, kind of this maturation process that we see. And there's, you know, other fun moments in this, quotable stuff, good music. I actually enjoyed The Kinky Wizards, the little uh, Nazi youth shoplifters, business cripplers. Um, so overall, it's a good film. And I'm going to go with the 7.5.
2: Yeah. Well, so, I think I like this movie the better the first time I saw it when it was called It's a Wonderful Life. So suck it. Daniel. <laughs> all right. And uh, Nick, are you are you with us? We're, we're ready for your final Zimmerman review. Perhaps you had to go take a break. So, Daniel, did you give it a, a, a dollar value? I know all value is subjective, but you have to give it a point from one decimal deep. A dollar value? I did. I said
1: 7.5. Oh, 7.5. I wasn't even listening. I was just waiting for my turn to talk. <laughs> so, apparently, Robert thinks that people only have growth over large periods of time. It's yeah. Not watch it not... to
2: London for Life. It's a better movie. Don't watch this crap.
1: <laughs> it's not like Dave Smith didn't go from being an atheist to a conservative Christian over one moment. It was one moment, it was when he had his daughter. Yeah. So, you know, go tell me life changes don't happen in moments that you need to have huge periods of time. Technically, this is even more realistic than that. And you still have to have time to reflect on. It. <laughs> I think you're making, I think you're assuming how people have to be. That's right. According to
2: my world and my utopia. He wants everyone to change slow
1: as molasses. All right, Nikki, you tell us, tell us what, what's your rating, sir? Uh, I'm giving it, I'm going to say an eight. I've definitely seen better movies. Uh, It tickles a lot of my fancies, but not all of them. All right.
0: right. Anything else to your uh, final summary? Like what, what are the top five reasons you picked this film? Use that as your summary.
1: I Because I wouldn't have to watch it and could probably riff for days on it if I needed to. Strictly a laziness thing. Uh, and if I could, I, would get, I was going to come on here and just tell everyone to go and watch War, Inc., a far better or a far more thought-provoking movie about politics back when he had decent politics because, you know, Bush was in office. Oh, right. Yeah. OK. Well, perhaps perhaps that can
0: be a film that we do on the next appearance of Nikki P., of sound freaks. I'm just, I'm just the guy that comes on when we do John Cusack movies, apparently. Maybe our John Cusack guy, we got a Batman guy, we got a <laughs> Kevin Costner guy, we got a 80s rom-com uh, lady. It's all good stuff. we got a little niches, you know? Riches are in the niches and we're, we're still waiting on them riches. Speaking of riches, if you like what we do here, it's one of the top five ways you can help us out is to go to our Patreon page at lastnighters.com Patreon, throw a few shekels our way, and we'll give you some bonus content and also uh, get some warm fuzzies from your, um, from your you know, monetary approval of what we do here. Uh, Robert, um, give us the uh, balance of that list, the four more th- ways that they can support us.
2: Yeah, top four more ways. Uh, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to us on our YouTube channel and leave a like, leave a comment down in the comment box, get the conversation going. That'd be fantastic. Or buy a shirt on Trubster.com. There's all kinds of different ways you could support us. And don't let me limit you. You might your your list might be different. Your ordinal list might have a different one at the number one. So you could just go ahead and do that one, whatever you're thinking.
0: All right, very good. And you can also check us out on the Launchpad Media where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. You can also find Nikki P stuff over there as well as at nickpacone.com. His latest is Peace Freaks and Parent to Podcaster. And I will be making an appearance on that show, I think, uh, coming right up. So we'll have a link to that on our show notes page at lastnards.com/slash one ten. And uh, this has been our episode on high fidelity and we will say good night from last night.